Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about that you would just intervene on behalf 
of this young lady. Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, um, it says on our show description today that we're going to talk about the Jehimek Mass case, and we are. Uh, but there is something that kind of crossed my newsfeed this morning, or later this afternoon, I should say, that I really wanted to address. Now, I did not have a, a you know, I didn't prepare to talk about it, except that something really kind of got under my skin about this. And so we're going to just, we're going to just throw this out there for commentary, because I think it's important. I think it's important to talk about this, being the nature of the show, being Pro-Life Friday radio and all. Uh, I certainly want to invite our listening audience to call in. The number to call in is 760-542-3907 for questions or comments that are related to the topics that we're talking about. Uh, we would love to have you on. Um, so, do you remember how the Texas Pro-Life Law, HB2, made it a requirement for abortion clinic, abortion facility doctors to be ha- to have a- admitting privileges in hospitals uh, in order for them to run their abortion facilities. Right. And and first, I want to make sure people understand. Let's go back in time a few months and to make sure people understand exactly why this bill, when it was a bill was drafted. It was drafted for the purpose of making sure that the abortionists were not the type of abortionists that we found in Douglas Carpin and the most notorious of all, Kermit Gosnell. Because for almost two decades, Kermit Gosnell operated his abortion facility, his House of Cat Feces, as I like to say, call it. Uh, it was known as the House of Horrors, but I, it's more factually called the House of Cat Feces. Abusing right. women, having terrible practices in general, doing illegal drug prescriptions, as on top of the fact that he was killing babies. Being an abortionist is bad enough. But on top of that, he was performing illegal abortions past the 24-week mark, which is illegal in the state of Pennsylvania. And he was doing it in such a way that he was killing live babies that were born. Now, the problem is, for him, just we are talking about abortion as a profession. I know that's just disgusting to say, but let's look at it in those terms. He was not good enough at what he did in order to complete the abortion lawfully. Right. So what is, what is faster than that? The, the fastest way to abort a child is to bring the child fully out of the womb and then kill the baby. That way you know for certain that you have done the job that you set out to do. Well, that, of course, is flagrantly illegal, brutal, 
terrible nobody, not even Planned Parenthood, who was caught trying having to uh, backpedal their defense of him from years before, had right. to say and admit that everything he did was wrong. So Texas decided that they were going to write a law, the Texas uh, legislature was going to write a law to make it harder for abortionists like Kermit Gosnell to perform abortions in this manner. It made them more difficult to skirt the law because now those abortionists have to come under the scrutiny of a hospital, which means their their practices have to be at a minimum level of acceptability. Now you're telling me, let's just say, you know, abortion is not acceptable under any circumstances. You're right. But what we are talking about is that the state imposed a level of accountability that had up till this point not been imposed on abortion clinics. That additional scrutiny had closed down, I don't know, what what was it, 12 abortion facilities? I, I can't think of the number right off the top of my head. In Texas, it basically wiped out a whole bunch of abortion facilities because abortionists would rather close their business than comply with the law and receive greater scrutiny on their facilities. Why? Because people don't like to do what's out in the open. They don't like to be out in the open. They want to do what they want to do in the dark, away from the eyes of the law. So, okay, so this. So we come to the story and that there's one uh, one abortion clinic in San Antonio, one abortion clinic in Dallas. Their doctors, their abortionists, I should say, gain admitting privileges at hospitals. So now they are allowed to stay. They are allowed to stay open. And along comes the laws, naysayers, and mind you, these are not the pro-abortionists. These are supposedly like-minded people against abortion who don't like to call themselves pro-life and shall remain nameless on this program for this purpose only, (laughs) to criticize and say, okay, this law has now allowed abortion clinics to stay open. And we told you so because we criticized this law as as, not, as instead of a full abolition of abortion, it is allowing people to run a certain way in order to make abortion, to maintain abortion in the state. And right. I will give them that. I will give them, yes, that is what happens, but no, it isn't this terrible thing that they're trying to make it out to be. I will I will give credit where credit is due. Yes, this affects if we I mean this is this is inevitable. If you put restrictions and demands for abortion facilities to comply with certain laws and regulations, then according to those laws and regulations they will stay open if they if they do comply. But the point is most chose not to comply 
and close. Are those that are so ambitious that they would comply? Of course there were. Nobody was naive enough to think that a simple act of regulating an abortion clinic would eliminate all of them. That would be naive to think so, and nobody's that naive. But now we have greater ability. This Okay, this was, a t- to me, to me, this is how I look at it. To me, this is a test case. How far can we push around these abortion facilities and these abortionists? This is a tactic that the left has been using against uh, social conservatives for decades and decades on end. They push people around a little bit here, a little bit there, and see where they can move you. (laughs) Because that's how, in the long term, they find out where your weaknesses are, and then they can eliminate you. I don't see any reason why this technique, this legal technique, won't work on the left as well, and won't work on pro-abortion forces and abortion clinics. Right. So nobody expected all abortion clinics to close in Texas just because of one law, but we are finding out where their weaknesses are. And the tighter we can screw the head on top of these abortion clinics, the more we will find their breaking point. If we cannot do it through the legislature, or actually if we haven't been able to do it through the courts, because the court and Roe v. Wade and everything else that's involved has been an obstacle, we have to make an end run around it. And that's what pro-life legislation has, was designed to do. So this legislation is, is not all bad. <laughs> and it isn't an I told you so moment saying, oh, you're just just legitimizing these abortion facilities. You know, they're no more legitimate than they used to be. Right. Now we have more control over them, and now Texas can find a way to shut those down. So and that's, that's my opinion about all that. Would I like to see these particular two closed? Of course I would. Of course I would. But I just watched uh, Amazing Grace, which is the story of William Wilberforce. Uh, I, I actually I loved it so much because it was his story. I went and purchased the movie. Um, where his friends, and I, you guys are going to just hate me because I forget his name, in the parliament, in the English parliament, when they were trying to find a way to abolish slavery and the African slave trade, they came up against a lot of the similar arguments, a lot of the a lot of the obstacles. And his friend was saying and it seemed like it was hopeless. You know, how are we going to legislatively pass something ending the slave trade when nobody will vote for it? And his friend had said, Well we don't and he was like, What? His friend says, We don't do that. We cheat. And I think that was the most clever way for them to undermine the slave trade. 
that had, had up till that point ever been conceived. And they succeeded. They succeeded in cutting down the African slave trade by, I, w I think it was 90, 80 to 90%. And were there people back then that made the same argument? Well, they didn't abolish it. Well, no, they didn't. They, they made it possible for those who complied with the law to keep trading slaves. Well, yes, they did. But that, like the legislation they championed was the beginning, one of the first dominoes to fall against the slavery practice. And we want to see all the dominoes fall against the practice of abortion. If we have to come at it from the side, we will. If we have to come at, if we can come at it directly, most of us will choose that. I, I haven't heard a single pro-life person disagree with that. I'm sure there's somebody out there that would. I, I don't put it past anybody, but I haven't heard it yet. And darn well almost everybody would say if we could abolish abortion today, flat out, we would. So I, you know, so that's. I wanted to say that really quickly, because I don't want people to understand that the purpose of pro-life legislation is to to prolong something. That is not the purpose of a law like HB2 in Texas. It wasn't meant to prolong anybody's business of aborting babies. Um, so just, just to keep the focus where it ought to be. Now today, uh, here on Pro-Life Fridays Radio, uh, I'm switching subjects now to our, our topic of the day, I make it a personal goal of mine to articulate a fully-orbed pro-life ethic. That is, what, and what we've said this, and we've said this here on many occasions before, pro-life is not just about abortion. It is about operating on a consistent whole life, pro-life ethic that applies just as much to end of life issues as beginning of life issues and every moment in between. So issues like sex, uh, sex trafficking, human trafficking, honor killing, religious persecution, reproductive technology, assisted suicide, and of course abortion, are all ways of promulgating one underlying ethical injustice, and that is slavery. I know, somebody out there clutching their chest right now. <gasps> Did you just equate reproductive technology to slavery? I, I'm pretty sure somebody is asking that question right about now. Well, you know, I said those things in the same sentence, which means they are related in one fundamental way. But I didn't say they were equal in terms of their practical realities. So we do, I do make distinctions between actual practices, but I don't want to overlook the fact that all of the pro-life issues that we can hear on this show, on this program, consider pro-life issues, are, are not the same thing fundamentally, fundamentally in terms of 
their philosophy and ethics going forward. Okay, so but the issue at hand today is a story we briefly mentioned about last week from California. 13-year-old Jahai McMath is right now in a hospital on life support. Hospital doctors have declared her brain dead and want her removed from all life support, including feeding and hydration. That's, that's what I heard the latest. Um, I, I'm not real certain. Some of this news is, is rumor and some of it is not. So I can't be, of those things that I can't be 100% sure, I'm just going to say I think that's what I read. Uh, hospital, um, all of this, <clears throat> excuse me, all of this is happening, however, against the expressed wishes of the family who has been fighting a judge's orders to remove her life support. Uh, it was supposed to happen on Monday, last Monday. Uh, the prayers, prayers were answered on Monday when they, the family, received a stay of that order until January 7th, which, of course, is approaching quickly. Advocates for the family have been working very hard to find an alternate facility in which to place Jahai, one that will honor the family's wishes to sustain her on life support. There have been notable groups advocating for them, uh, the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, as well as Issues for Life Foundation, uh, from which we are very pleased to have Walter Hoy speak with, to speak with in a few minutes here on the show. Uh, those two groups in particular have been very supportive of the family, speaking for them, trying to find uh, physicians that will aid and assist them. Uh, from what I hear, I got a very brief and incomplete call from one of the attorneys from the Terry Shiloh Network uh, that, has, that there has been no shortage of doctors willing to perform the surgery needed to move Jahai. Uh, she needs a breathing tube. Uh, for one thing, I think she needs a couple of things done before she can be properly moved from the hospital to another facility. Uh, they're also looking for another facility. I now, Thomas, did they find one? Well, they said um, they're looking at they're looking at um, a facility in New York City, but I don't know I don't know how that's going. Or not New okay. York City, but upstate New York. Okay. Uh, up, <laughs> All right, I won't make a terrible joke at this point. Um, but <laughs> that just sounds terrible. Upstate. Uh, I, I hope that they do find a facility. Now, now, these are one of the rumors. They did find one. They haven't found one. They are soon to find one. Somebody's looking. So in, in, in and around that issue of finding another facility, um, somebody is working on finding that facility. And you know what this case reminds me of? It reminds me of that baby named Joseph from Canada who was, who was born with a terminal uh, congenital failure, I guess it was a neuro neurological uh, disease, where uh, without, you know, without considerable medical intervention, the baby would die. Uh, it's, the baby had difficulty breathing, and so the baby was on a respirator. 
MV Hospital in Canada simply wanted to remove all breathing assistance for this baby and let the baby die. And the parents objected terribly. They're like, you are not letting my baby die in this hospital. And they were overruled. They were overruled by the hospital. I don't know if they got a judge to if the the hospital also like like the Jahai McNaff case here got a judge to order you know the removal of these uh, all of the breathing tubes and everything um so it became that the family the family accepted the baby's eventual death, but they wanted they did not want their baby to die in the hospital out of neglect, which is exactly what this baby would have experienced. So they wanted the hospital to just perform uh, a tracheostomy, or I forget what it is, tracheotomy, to to give the baby a breathing tube so that they can leave. They can leave the hospital with their baby and not put their baby in the morgue. And the hospital wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And this is exactly the same thing that's happening with this hospital in California. In order to move... Jahai, they need to perform the surgery, but the hospital is refusing to perform the surgery. Uh, and now I have a couple of questions we have uh, for one of our guests, uh, Dr. Paul Byrne, who's going to talk to us a little bit about the medical ethics and the medical aspect of what could be happening in her case. Uh, but I, I really don't know why the hospital would refuse such a thing unless they just think it's not worth their while. That it's so much it's so much easier to turn off all the machines than to put her in an operating room to give her a chance uh, to live in a different facility, you know, with the wishes of her family. So and this is this is a lot bigger. And I know this is, everybody's like, well, what about the 13-year-old girl? It is about her, but it is so much more, it's so much, this issue is so much bigger than her. Because, you know, this, is, this happens quite frequently. Right. What's happening to Jahai is not brand new. It's go, it happened before her. It's going to happen after her. It's happening to probably many people across the country as we speak. But I think the reason this has gotten some media traction and some media attention is because of the way that it happened, that she was uh, not in the hospital for any kind of trauma or or didn't become brain dead or whatever it is that they say she has uh, because of some accident uh, outside of the hospital. She was in the hospital for routine tonsil surgery. You know, I had my tonsils taken out. And I can't imagine something going so horribly wrong that it would cause her to die. Um, so I, I don't know the details. I, I hope the family finds out the details of how that all happened. But at the very least, it sounds so suspicious to me that the hospital is very tight-lipped at this point, and it, it, the, the pit in my stomach says they want to send this poor girl to the morgue so that people would stop asking questions about how she got to where she is. Um, so I, I'm sorry, what? 
was going to say something else to throw out for people to consider is this. Organ harvesting. Yeah. You're right about that. Unfortunately, you are right about that. And I, I, that's some things, that's one thing that sends chills down my spine. And I know this for a fact that it's true. And, you know, it's very hard for me personally to think about that because it is, it is harrowing. It is just the thought of people dying prematurely because doctors really want to harvest their organs is, I don't know about you, but it just frightens the living daylights out of me. And I'm fighting for those other people. And, you know, I don't think of myself as that having, you know, having to go through that, you know. <clears throat> I hope not, <laughs> Lord willing. But, uh, you know, I'm frightened for the people who are now, right now, experiencing that and having to think and question doctors' motives. I think right. this is a perfect setup. That is a perfect setup to question this hospital's motives. Um, right. So I, I, to, to continue to finish what I had been saying about that, um, what I want our audience to understand, when we talk about pro-life, we include individuals like 13-year-old Jahai McMath. And anybody, don't have to be 13, you need 13, 33, or 13 weeks in the womb. The basic underlying pro-life ethic that we on this program, Pro-Life Fridays Radio, want to articulate for anybody and everybody is that life does not end when your utility ends for other people. Let me say that again. One's life should not, I should say should not, because it happens a lot, one's life should not end when your utility ends for other people. And that applies to abortion and it applies to Jahai McMath. And right. in this case, the from what I hear, uh, what I know of the pro-euthanasia crowd, and the ethics that they purportedly try to uphold is that when your life is really of no use to anyone else, then you ought to die. Well, you know what? Who said the same thing? Do you know? <laughs> I wonder, I'm going to take, take a wild guess and say Margaret Sanger. No, uh, I wasn't thinking about her directly, but... It would be in the same vein. She was, well, yes. You know what? Yes to all. Yes to both, because they they're not the original people who said this on video, (laughs) on film strip. I should say. The oldest video that I found somebody saying this. Um, We could, you know, it doesn't have to be. This is not necessarily 20th century. 
we can find this, this pro-death ethic, which is what it is, throughout all human history, but particularly chilling in the early 20th century. And the person I was thinking of was George Bernard Shaw, who basically said those exact words. Oh, if you are yeah. of no use. Right. If you are yeah. of no use to society, then society doesn't have a real uh, a, a real reason to keep you alive. And, I'm, and it's very sad to hear um, people putting Jahai McMath in that category. She's right. better. If you throw the organ donation stuff in, you know, it's, it's better that she does die, basically. At least you get to get something out of her, which is, I know, I know I'm grossing myself out. I'm sorry. It must be one of those things that's affecting me today. But it is it is so sad to understand how this is all playing out and you know this these utilitarians and that's a nice way of putting it look at her as nothing but a body and they're going to say oh she's brain dead she's brain dead well that remains to be 100% determined as our guest right. on the line is going to tell us and Real quick, who do we have on the line? I am on the line. This is Dr. Paul Byrne, and I am on the line. All right, hey, Dr. Byrne, you, you are welcome to the show. I am um, glad you. you are um, with us today. Have... Welcome to Pro-Life Fridays. Yes, thank you for having me on the show. You're very welcome. So I, you are more than welcome. I'm actually very enthusiastic about having you on the program. Now, I sent uh, – I'm going to ask one question, and then my co-host today, my wonderful co-host, Thomas, is going to take over for a few minutes because I have some business that I need to attend to. I know, terribly unprofessional, Letitia. Uh, but, Dr. Byrne, uh, thank you again for coming on the program. I have one uh, – I want to start with this um, and to talk about the medical ethics and, and the perspective that is that is happening, and then we'll be talk about the exact situation with the doctors and the, the the ethics in the hospital. Now, you had just written a, an article titled "Jahai is not truly dead," Wesley Smith, and that was uh, that was right before Christmas when this first hit the news uh, really early on. And I have a question for you, which is, now, I, I'm a strong admirer of Wesley J. Smith and have been generally impressed with much of what he has to say on medical ethics and bioethics. Uh, but briefly, please, tell us what your position is uh, when you responded at Renew America to his comments on this, quote, unquote, brain dead issue and Jahai McMath. Please tell us what you're you're meant to say about that. Well, um, uh, you you put a lot into that question. The, the first thing uh, about the words "brain dead," uh, when people hear that, what they really hear is as dead, and 
people know what debt is, uh, but people have no idea what it means, uh, what this other thing called brain dust means. And, and, uh, and actually, uh, it has so many meanings that it can mean a lot of different things. But basically what it amounts to uh, is that uh, according to what some doctor says, uh, that the brain uh, isn't functioning, uh, and and, uh, and uh, they follow some sets of criteria, but there are so many different sets. The first set was published uh, in uh, uh, 1968, and between 1968 and 78, there were 30 different sets of criteria pu- published, and there are many different sets of criteria published since that time, and uh, this was uh, uh, analyzed and reviewed in the journal called Neurology in 2009, and there was no consensus as to which set of criteria uh, should be followed. Uh, furthermore, in 2010, they uh, wrote that, that uh, brain-related criteria are not uh, evidence-based. Uh, that, that is, they uh, don't have good scientific studies as to uh, uh, which uh, criteria they should follow. And then what they did at that time was just made up another set of criteria. And, and, uh, uh, and, and criteria, by the way, are supposed to be observations by which you make judgments. Uh, but uh, uh, so... Uh, uh, to then uh, apply this to uh, uh, Jahai. Uh, Jahai is a 13-year-old girl who uh, 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 had the problem with the operation and then uh, was uh, uh, resuscitated. And uh, and, uh, within a very short time, uh, they declared that she uh, was uh, brain dead. And uh, uh, Jahai has a beating heart. Uh, she has circulation. She has respiration. Uh, uh, as recent uh, uh, as, uh, as uh, last evening, uh, when I uh, watched her uncle uh, touch her right arm and right hand, uh, she m- moved that arm and moved the shoulder. Uh, and uh, did it briskly. Uh, uh, she uh, has had uh, uh, is still showing that kind of response. Uh, she's had no nutrition except uh, just sugar water, uh, which is uh, amounts to something like Seven uh, Up, so that people can understand how much energy there is in that. It's just sugar, and it's five uh, percent sugar which is kind of like 7-Up, but that's all she's had in the way of, uh, of uh, intake for three weeks. Uh, she's been without nutrition. She ha- has to be uh, deficient in, in uh, fats, deficient in protein. Uh, her uh, uh, thyroid-simulating hormone uh, probably is not uh, uh, functioning, so she's thyroid-deficient. Uh, thyroid's necessary for life. And uh, uh, these things are going on, and she's been kept from getting any of these things uh, since they uh, made that declaration of, of uh, 
uh, brain death, and of course, uh, uh, people hear just death, but brain death is is not true death. It never was, and it never will be. Uh, and uh, it was something that was uh, uh, invented, uh, made up to get organs for transplantation, and and uh, they want to quickly get to that declaration so they can get organs. And then if the uh, relatives, uh, in this case the mother, refuses to give organs, well, then the, uh, the person is uh, useless, uh, if you want to call it that, and they determine that they're going to stop the treatment. Uh, and Jahai is one that brings this to the, to the surface, uh, but uh, this is uh, going on. You uh, mentioned the article that I uh, uh, wrote at uh, Renew America. I wrote another one of, uh, not too long before that. It was called uh, Execution in a New York Hospital. Uh, that drew little or no attention uh, in spite of such a, uh, uh, a title to the article. And uh, that, that uh, happened to uh, in, involve an, an adult uh, who uh, was uh, 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 healthy physically, collapsed at home, was resuscitated, taken to the hospital, and for whatever reason, they decided that uh, he was not a candidate for organs, and and, uh, and at that point uh, made the declaration of uh, brain death, and in a few days, they took away his life support. They took away his ventilator, and uh, he had brainwave activity on his EEG. Uh, and, of course, what happens in, in, in all of this that has to do with uh, 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 with this uh, decoration of, uh, uh, of brain death is that, that uh, they, they have certain observations that they pay attention to, and if they don't show that, uh, uh, then they uh, make the decoration of, uh, of uh, brain death, and they don't check any other kinds of observations, and they don't give any other treatment. It, it's uh, 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 it, it's uh, uh, the kind of thing that that I became uh, aware of in 1975 when I had a, a baby Joseph that I was taking care of, uh, and uh, Joseph had uh, flat brain waves, and what was written on his chart was consistent with cerebral death uh, were the words on his chart and. And uh, I looked at uh, Joseph and looked at the word death. I thought, that does not belong on Joseph. What, why is it there? Uh, and, uh, and so it was suggested to stop treating Joseph, but I didn't do that. I continued to treat him. Uh, eventually, uh, he was able to be weaned from the ventilator uh, and, uh, and went to school, got straight A's, ran track, played baseball. He's married, has three children. Uh, but uh, so in 1975, when I started to study this subject, and it uh, became uh, clear uh, that it was not based on any kind of uh, uh, studies that would be uh, acceptable uh, scientifically for anything else. They're, they uh, uh, they didn't do uh, studies on dogs or cats or rats 
they didn't really uh, uh, do evaluation on uh, human beings. They they uh, uh, just wrote the article with only one reference, and that was not to any kind of a scientist. And with that, they uh, uh, made up the Harvard criteria, and they called it uh, a declaration of irreversible coma. Now, somebody's in coma is alive. They're not dead. So they knew that, and then they knew that they had to make it a law. So Kansas was the first state to get a brain death law, and now every state has a brain death law. And and the laws are all set up to get Oregon, the, the uh, Uniform Determination of Death Act, the Uniform Anatomical Gift Act, and then the law that everybody has heard about is called the HIPAA law. Uh, and the HIPAA law you, you uh, become aware of when you uh, go to the doctor or the pharmacist or the insurance uh, agent, and uh, people think that that's there to keep your records private. Well, let me tell you, folks, uh, the first day that you get into medical school, they, uh, they remind you that you have to keep everything private and don't discuss things in the cafeteria or the or the elevator, and so we all know, and nurses know even more than doctors do about keeping it private, so it wasn't necessary to have a law for that. But what was the law for? Go read the law, and you'll find 14 ways that the government can use your information without your permission, and, and, uh, and one of them is to get your organs. Uh, and, right. and so all of the laws are set up to get your organs, and yes, uh, Jahai, it is alive. I can't uh, tell you anything further than that, except that uh, she does need treatment. Uh, she does need treatment. She's. Uh, uh, it, it isn't that she uh, uh, has an ordinary illness like a cold or something like that. She has. She's seriously ill. Uh, she ought to be in, in an intensive care unit where she can be uh, treated properly. Uh, as far as I know. Uh, no, uh, no hospital, no intensive care unit was willing to take her. The last I heard was that that a rehab hospital, a uh, nursing home kind of thing, will take her, but they have to do a tracheostomy. Uh, and right. the reason you have to do a tracheostomy on her because she has an endotracheal tube, with a tube that goes down uh, uh, into her airway. Uh, through her mouth, and and she has that, and the problem is, is that comes out. She has to be where somebody in. So if she gets a tracheostomy, then she's easier to take care of. And so, of course, that that's better than where she is now, where they refuse to do anything to help her other than giving her the sugar water in the vein with salt. They give her saline, and she's right. on the ventilator. And uh, and she gets uh, vasopressin, which helps to uh, keep her electrolytes in balance. Uh, so she needs to get away from that and get to where she can get better treatment. Dr. Byrne, this is Thomas. Um, I'm stepping in for Letitia. I'm the other co-host. And um, this is my question, and you alluded to it. So do you feel that this in an unethical sense, is really about the harvesting of organs. Well, in your opinion, 
that 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 is the root of what this is all about. Uh, uh, and uh, you you see, uh, they wanted to, in 1967 they wanted to do heart transplants, and when they waited till true death was there, uh, uh, the heart was not able to be transplanted. The, the all of our organs and tissues of our body need oxygen, and and to get oxygen there has to be circulation, and so right. when the circulation stops, in about four to five minutes the heart is so damaged that you can't transplant it, the liver is so damaged that you can't transplant it, so they had to find a way to do this. Now, before they found a way to do it. They did a heart transplant in South Africa, Christian Bernard. It was known all over the world. But then when I asked people, what about the second heart transplant? Nobody knows the answer to that. But three days later, they did the second heart transplant in Brooklyn, New York. They cut beating heart out of a three-day-old baby and transplanted it into an 18-day-old baby. And at the end of their operations, uh, uh, both babies were dead. It was uh, illegal. It was immoral. And no. so, so they had to find a way to get around this. So they uh, set up a committee at Harvard, and Harvard uh, 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 published the article, A Definition of Irreversible Coma, They're Alive. Uh, and and uh, from that, then they said they had to make it legal, and they proceeded to make it legal starting with the first law in 1970, and then getting the, uh, a law across all the states uh, uh, that they published in 1981, and all the states have a law that that uh, uh, says that, and it uses language that sounds strong, uh, irreversible cessation of all functions of the entire brain, including the brainstem. All of that sounds very strong, but that uh, determination uh, is made in accord with accepted medical standards. Well, what's the accepted medical standards? They vary from hospital to hospital. They vary from state to state, uh, and and uh, there uh, and so anything is acceptable. That's how they were able to do that. Do this with uh, uh, Jahai. Any anybody can go see Jahai and know that she is not truly dead. Uh, right. Does she have something seriously wrong with her? Yes, she does. Well, what do we do when somebody is serious, seriously wrong, wrong with them, seriously ill? You go to intensive care units. But that's not what they've done with Jahai. They've, they've uh, put her off in a room, gave, gave her just a ventilator with vasopressin and sugar water and salt, and that's all. Uh, and and made it not easy for her mother and grandmother and relatives of, uh, to even get to see her, even for others to get to see her also. Well, and I have I have kind of one. It's a two-part question, and and I'm a, a, a preference something after you give me the answer. Are you? In direct contact and interaction with the family. Do you am get I in direct? I'm sorry. Am I in direct yes. contact with what? Are you in direct contact with the family? Do you get to talk to her mother or in, in father or grandmother? 
Uh, my, my, my hearing is not good, so uh, you have to uh, accept the fact. I, have, have, have I been in direct contact with her mother and her grandmother? Yes. Yes. Well, and the, here's the reason why I asked. Um, you, you were saying earlier that, you know, they called different facilities all around the country trying to um trying to um, find a place for her. Well, I had made a phone call to, uh, to Children's Mercy Hospital here in Kansas City, Missouri. And, yeah, um, see, now, I just uh, interject there. Uh, it, it's, it's not a matter of finding a building to put her into. It's not a matter of finding an intensive care unit to put her into. It's a matter of finding doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists who want to take care of, of a, a child like uh, Jahai who uh, uh, needs the kind of intensive care that people with uh, severe problems with their brain need. Now, the time to do this was three weeks ago. And right. yes, lots of time has gone by, so whatever it is, it makes the outlook not as good as it used to be, but anybody with any common sense knows that that what you do uh, uh, when uh, death occurs, uh, uh, you embalm them or bury them, and why do you do that? Because lots of bad things happen once death occurred. Nothing has happened uh, uh, in terms of bad things except that uh, to Jahai, except uh, she continues to live, and uh, right. she's not dead, and but she's been deprived of of nutrition. If, if you or I or anyone listening have only seven up to drink for three weeks, how much energy do you think you'd have for anything else? Uh, yes, right. it does keep her hydrated, it does keep her alive, but it's not what she needed for the last three weeks. And it's not what she needs now. She needs to get good treatment. And and uh, should somebody have to go across the country to get treatment, I think that's terrible. There ought to be uh, someplace right here in California that's willing to care about a 13-year-old girl right. who needs good care. And I can't tell you what the outlook is. I can tell you that she is a living person. Right, and and that and I agree with you wholeheartedly, one hundred percent. And that that was one of the things that I was wondering: why isn't there any facility in the state of California? But you know, I look at it like this: California, with that law that says if you're brain dead, then you can be um, declared legally dead. And the one thing that kept jumping out at me. In just my opinion, this is about organ harvesting. This is about organ harvesting because, you know, California also protected hospitals with limiting punitive damages to $250,000. So the hospital really didn't care about the money. The only thing they care about is harvesting the organs of that young lady. So um, I just, oh, Sorry, folks, but this is this to me. It's a very pressing life issue, and I am going to now bring on um, a very good friend of yours, a very very good friend of mine as well, uh, 
Walter Hoyt, and he is going to talk about the pro the pro life aspect of how how this was a ample opportunity for the pro life movement to really show that we care. So, Walter, welcome to the show. Thank you for calling in. Thomas, well, it's a pleasure. No, uh, thank you for the comment. I, I uh, just to uh, uh, clarify some things about why you can't do anything in California. Uh, it, I think it amounts. Uh, some of it amounts to who pays. And uh, w- once someone is uh, declared deceased, and they declared Jahai uh, uh, deceased on. Uh, uh, December the 12th, uh, you know, uh, uh, at that point, uh, uh, many times insurance companies will stop paying, and then so no other hospital wants to uh, uh, get a deceased, somebody who's deceased, you know, uh, somebody who's deceased, you go to the the undertaker, uh, 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 and, uh, uh, and of course it would be wrong to do that, so please don't take it the wrong way what I just said, but that's what happens when somebody's deceased. So no hospital wants to take uh, uh, somebody who's got the labels that, you know, when they said to this mother, as a uh, uh, mother said, the doctor was in my face saying, dead, dead, dead. Uh, and, and so how can you transfer somebody who's dead, 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 that kind of thing? So that's why nobody wants to participate and so that's why we're having to go all the way across the country to then we're going all the way across the country flying over uh children's hospitals intensive care units and uh why because uh uh nobody wants to get involved with this as as one uh ear nose and throat doctor uh uh relate to me uh i can do the tracheostomy uh, uh but i believe in brain death and I don't want anything to do with it, and and that's part of what gets in the way. Who pays what the uh, what the doctors already believe in, and they have to believe in what they've participated in. And organ transplants are uh, are so big and far and wide that uh, uh, that that many uh, doctors have participated either directly or in their training and the like, and uh, so. So uh, they uh, are reluctant to go back on what they've already participated in. Wow. Wow. I I totally understand. Walter, you there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, man. Um, Dr. Byrne, he, he hit the nail on the head. Um, I am... I want you, Walter, to touch on the pro-life aspect of it, how we as the pro-life movement could have, you know, played a bigger part in helping to, uh, you know, get what is going on with Yahai out. And maybe, just maybe, in my opinion, we could have, maybe put pressure on the hospital if you would speak to that and then I think Leticia has a question for you as well. So I appreciate that and, and uh hi Doctor Burns, good to talk to you again. Uh yes. Thomas first the uh you need to know that 
uh, the Children's Hospital and the Jihad uh, family uh, have come to an agreement to, to transfer her to another facility. Now, I don't know the name of that facility, but that's today. That's as of today. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Now, the, the, the transfer uh, is going to come at a price. The hospital is not going to take any liability, any responsibility at all. All the responsibility for moving Jahai is on her mother, and, and that includes even should Jahai's heart stop beating, it will all be on Jahai's mother to transfer her to the uh, other facility. Also know, I think that today um, the coroner uh, issued his certificate, so this is another label that uh, Dr. Byrne w- was talking about. Uh, and so these are, this is all happening today. There's been uh, two hearings today, federal court and county court, and this is, this is what uh, has happened. Now, about the pro-life movement, I, I was, um, on, on December 22nd, I was, Standing on a public sidewalk in front of the hospital, holding up a sign that said "Praise for Jahai," and uh, well received. Uh, but uh, again, uh, I was the only one there, and I was hoping to see more of the pro-life movement involved. Uh, at that time, I got a chance to meet the sister. She was thankful that uh, we were praying for her or her sister. And so that was a source of comfort. She invited me to come to the march. There was a march the very next day on Monday. The march was announced on television. Uh, It was in the news. And I was hoping to have the pro-life movement come out and really support uh, this this family Uh, because the family was leading the march. We got the hospital, and they marched uh, from the hospital and back to the hospital. Uh, There were a lot of pro-life signs that were, were out there, uh, many of the signs that you see ordinarily in, in a pro-life march. And, uh, again, I didn't see a lot uh, of uh, us out there. I was uh, disappointed uh, with that. So that was on the 22nd and the march on, on the 23rd. Now, I have uh, since learned that behind the scenes there will be other organizations working, but my, but my concern, again, is that this was an opportunity uh, for us as pro-lifers to demonstrate how much we love the family and be willing to stand with the the family, uh, not with any agenda in mind, but just to simply say that we love them. Uh, Right. We are are often as pro-lifers criticized for only loving the child in the womb and not the child outside the womb. This was an excellent opportunity for us to do that. And I think it's, it's, if we had done that, uh, we would have made, you know, lots and lots of inroads, uh, particularly into in the black community. Uh, so I was disappointed with, with that. Well, Roger, I, uh, uh, I uh, have no difficulty with your observation, uh, but uh, w- we have an organization called Life Guardian Foundation, uh, and uh, we are uh, what we do is protect and preserve life from true conception until true death. And, Amen. And, uh, and why do we have to have that as a, a new, different, uh, you know, uh, uh, pro-life organization? 
It's because where do I find another one that will take that stand from true conception until true death? And and Amen. I'm not taking shots at any other. I mean, I'm grateful to uh, for uh, the things that people do uh, to respect life. But you, as Roger says, you have to respect life until true death. And anybody who says the true death already exists when the heart's beating and there's blood pressure and there's circulation and there's respiration. And when you move her arm, her arm moves and her, her shoulder moves. If someone says uh, that's death, I just say, well, they're stupid. Uh, and uh, that doesn't mean that Jahai uh, is uh, out on the playground with her friends like, uh, like we wish she would be. Uh, uh, she's a sick little girl uh, in the hospital, needs treatment and care, and just like anybody else who is critically and serious, has a serious illness, uh, uh, we really don't know what's going to happen, uh, but we do know that we have a chance. Uh, uh, as long as that life is there, then we need to do things uh, 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 to uh, uh, to support that life. And yes, uh, uh, Jahai has needed nutrition for the last three weeks, and she's been deprived of that. And that, to me, is uh, shameful. Uh, and and uh, yes, they declared they were going to take away her ventilator, and they would have, but her mother stood up for her. Praise God and thank God that her mother showed her motherly love and stood up for uh, Jahai and, and, and stopped that. And no matter what happens, uh, she is, is still uh, alive, still living uh, uh, three weeks later. Uh, and so, yes, uh, you're correct. The, uh, uh, and these issues uh, cross all lines. They, 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 they don't ha- have to do uh, with uh, one's uh, religion. Uh, uh, they, uh, they don't have to do with the race. They don't have to do with uh, uh, where we live. The issues are the same. Uh, uh, we get our life from the Creator, and then as human beings, we're supposed to take care of our own life and take care of the life of the other ones around us. You know, first our family, then uh, our neighbors and our friends and that kind of thing. And we ought to have laws that protect life until true death. But the laws have all been maneuvered and manipulated by the organ transplant industry, which is a malt industry, uh, right. and that, that's to get their organs. Now, now that, that's what's at the root of all of this. And yes, uh, uh, we focus on how it is uh, uh, mistreatment uh, to uh, uh, treat somebody who's sick as if they were uh, uh, dead. That that's wrong to do that, and that's the the issue here. But how did it get to be like this? It's got to be like this because of uh, what's happened in the organ transplant industry. My own study of this subject was to uh, ask the question, is brain death uh, uh, based on valid scientific data? And it became clear to me uh, early on that it was not, and we 
we've published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, we've published an article uh, in the Gonzaga Law Review that's 85 pages, has 244 footnotes in it. We published about all of this in, in peer-reviewed journals, and uh, we continue to take a stand, but then then uh, uh, the, uh, the education is kept so that you're not allowed to hear these things except like a program. And I'm grateful for your your um, uh, allowing me to be on this program, uh, and and uh, and but the time to get educated is when before you or your child gets uh, uh, gets uh, has a problem. Incidentally, at, at uh, Life Guardian Foundation, uh, we do have cards that you can carry with you that will protect and preserve your life. Uh, we have other things that, that we do to uh, help people so that they know how to protect and preserve their life. And you have to do it uh, uh, while you're uh, well and able to discuss and that kind of thing because once you get into the uh, clutches of the uh, organ transplant industry, uh, uh, then you don't have much chance. And to get into those clutches, all you have to do is be unconscious on a, and on a ventilator, and that's the signal to call the organ procurement organization. And, and right. uh, the, these things are happening all over, not just here in, uh, in Oakland, California, uh, but it's happening all over. And I didn't start out to be against organ transplants. I, I uh, knew... Uh, nothing about it. Mine was just a scientific study. Is brain death true death? And it is not. And then over time, it became clear to me that I had to be paying more attention to what was happening with the transplant industry. And, and uh, so I say these things after uh, many years of study and a, uh, study and concern. And it isn't that I don't have concern about people who are uh, seriously ill, I do, uh, but, but I'm not willing to uh, uh, cause the death of someone to get an organ or even to cause someone to get weaker to get an organ. No, that's not the correct approach that, uh, that we should have. Amen. Leticia? You've, you're, you've been waiting quietly. You have a question for either Walter or Dr. Byrne? Um, yeah, I do. For for Dr. Byrne, I uh, just wanted to shift. Uh, I, I hear everything you say, and it's really, really impactful. I wanted to ask, though, uh, because of the unique case of Jahai's uh, happening to, to become unconscious and then declared brain death, I, there was a suspicion that I had. I have a suspicion that the hospital is hiding some malpractice that put her in this position. Um, is it also possible that they want her to expire quickly so that people will stop asking questions? Okay. I, uh, your um, uh, your uh, question came to me uh, uh, kind of broken. So, so, oh, I'm, uh, uh, so I, uh, and it doesn't have to do so much with you as it does with my uh, hearing. Uh, uh, but, uh, if I uh, answer the question, uh, it, uh, maybe I should ask you to ans ask it again so I make sure I have sure. the right question. 
could the hospital be hiding some malpractice given that Jahai had slipped into unconsciousness uh, fairly quickly over over minor surgery? Well, uh, to answer that question, uh, I I don't know the answer to that question, and and uh, uh, and uh, maybe there is something to hide, but what's out there and uh, apparent uh, is that the, uh, Jahai has a serious problem after the surgery. She did not have that problem uh, before the surgery. So uh, there, there are uh, questions that have to be uh, answered uh, regarding that. Uh, uh, and and uh, I, I don't want to sound uh, uh, uncaring or cruel or, or w- whatever this is all about. All, all I do know is that uh, Jahai is a living person. She's seriously ill. She does need treatment, and, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, what we want to do is get treatment for her. The ideal place for her to get treatment is in an intensive care unit in a children's hospital. But you see, as I started to say before, and I didn't quite finish, uh, what she needs is doctors and nurses who care. You see, if, if a doctor or nurse just looks at her and says, oh, she's brain dead, uh, they don't care, you know, and they'll they, they will walk away or not get involved. When when uh, uh, when uh, a person when a patient is seriously ill, doctors put their heart and soul into helping them to get well, uh, and uh, and and so uh, they have to care about her as a person. Uh, when somebody can't do things like move, you have to move them all the time. You have to. Uh, on the ventilator, you have to suction, you have to do blood gases to uh, uh, other things to determine how to use the ventilator, how to give the ventilator, you have to give nutrition. All of these things we do on a regular basis when, uh, when people are seriously ill uh, in, in the hospital, but we do that when we want to make them get well. But uh, w- what happens is that when things go bad and they have the cardiorespiratory arrest and they immediately said she had lack of oxygen to her uh, brain, and when the mother didn't say yes to organ transplants, then that meant no treatment. And, and when, in fact, when the brain doesn't function, uh, uh, one of the things that happens is the pituitary gland doesn't produce thyroid-stimulating hormone and adrenal cortical-stimulating uh, hormone, uh, and uh, the, these things are necessary to uh, get Jahai well, and and uh, and so we're uh, hope, hopeful to get them uh, into her. But of course, uh, everybody has to know it's very late uh, uh, to do things if somebody's without nutrition for three weeks. Uh, and then they're going to try to get them well. Well, yes, they can get well, but uh, 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 so only time will tell how all this works out. But I do know that uh, she's uh, uh, someone who's very much alive, and she needs to get treatment, and uh, hopefully it will come soon. All right. Uh, thank you so much for your insight. I think that is that is 
way more information that I ever thought was uh, possible to know about this. I'm so thankful for that. And, yeah, I think we do need to be in, in deep care about a breakthrough for for her and her family. And, um, and uh, Walter, I, I want to oh, – let me ask you this. What – so, so they have a facility uh, that is willing to to take Jahai and take care of her. Um, is that going to move forward? I mean, does she? Ha- I would assume that she would need to move fairly quickly. And are they going to move forward with that? They are going to move forward with that. that that's in, in the news, even. And uh, I'm asking everyone to be in prayer for the family, the mothers taking Absolutely. on personal responsibility for the entire move and anything that could go wrong with that move. And so right now we're asking everyone to just lift this family up in prayer. Yes, that's so important. To uh, Everyone needs to be uh, praying and uh, uh, pray that, that uh, Jahai's life is uh, protected and preserved and that uh, doctors and nurses and uh, people with expertise uh, will come forward, and uh, hopefully she won't have to go all the way across the country. But uh, uh, what I've encouraged is that wherever she goes, it will be a place of uh, where she is safe so that uh, uh, people won't be doing things like imposing death on her. Uh, uh, and uh, so we want her to live, and we want to get good treatment for her. Agreed. Agreed. Well, gentlemen, I want I, I want to ask you for the time that we have left. Um, uh, uh, Walter, you can go first. What do you want the public to know from this this particular situation? You know, you can be as general as you like, um, because based on this specific instance, um, I, I really do think we've tried to hammer very hard the ethical. A dilemma that needs to be overcome here. It's not a dilemma for us who are, for we who are pro-life, um, but what would you like the public to know based on this case? And, and uh, Walter, you can go first, and then uh, Dr. Byrne. Well, uh, one thing that I would, uh, uh, whenever you say things, uh, words have meanings, and uh, people uh, get used to, uh, used to, well, maybe that's not quite right, but words are often distorted. Uh, you used ethics, and uh, another one is morals, but uh, mm-hmm. but uh, they're really not any different except one is rooted in Greek and the other one's rooted in in Latin. They amount to is how one ought to behave, and and ought is a special word because the root of ought is to owe, and so uh, uh, what should uh, uh, how should ethics be? It's what do we owe to our fellow man. And the first thing that we owe is that we don't kill them. The next thing that we owe is we don't harm them. And, right. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so uh, uh, the, the public has to, uh, ha- has to know that uh, really uh, their life is in jeopardy uh, in the uh, multi-billion dollar organ transplant industry because uh, uh, if they don't have your organs, they have no industry, and so mm-hmm. they have to get uh, get their get your organs. 
And so they have devised and invented the laws, and the laws are all set up to get your organs. The laws are not there to, uh, to protect uh, uh, your life. And so there's much to be done, and yes, uh, education is part of it, uh, uh, but it's really uh, uh, pretty simple. People know what life is. They know that they're a, a, a living person, and even though while we talk to each other, uh, uh, we're talking and listening, but we aren't doing that with just our brains. You know, our heart's beating, uh, uh, the livers are functioning, kidneys are functioning, we're, uh, our, our whole body and our body, uh, we aren't just a body, but, but there's a spiritual principle and the life is the unity of that spiritual and physical and the uh, life doesn't end until the spiritual is gone, and then the uh, the life changes. The uh, 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 the living body goes uh, becomes a dead body by going through true death. And Jahai has not gone through true death, and it's not too difficult to figure these things out. Uh, and uh, you you don't have to have some uh, super duper education. Uh, uh, to know the difference between life and death, and that's what we're talking about as we protect and preserve life until true death, and one ought not be imposing death or imposing harm on another person for whatever reason. Agreed. And how, how can somebody find more information? You mentioned a website in the foundation that you, are, uh, you represent. How can somebody find yes. more information about that? LifeGuardianFoundation.org. Excellent. And Walter Hoy, uh, do you have any words for us uh, to speak out of this in general, uh, out of this particular situation? My heart just goes out to Jahai. Uh, I'm praying that that the God, our God, raises her. And I would ask everyone to, to pray along those lines. I'm also praying for the family. Uh, this has been a tremendous uh, ordeal for the entire family, especially the mother. And I'm just asking everyone to lift the mom and the family up in prayer. How would somebody who wants to, in the pro-life community, who wants to become involved and show their support for the family and uh and as, as Thomas said, put that necessary pressure, that public pressure, on wanting to see her, her life sustained and her healed uh, on how do they get involved and how do they get in, in touch with family. The Cherish Yavo Foundation is uh, uh, helping a whole lot. Uh, uh, you know, our Life Guardian Foundation, we need all the help and support we can get, but but uh, we we keep on no matter what we protect and preserve life until true death, and uh, we need to. Uh, so Terrace Yalvo Foundation, and we need to find a way to for people to uh, learn about these things so that they uh, uh, learn the truth. We we do have a website you can go there and see presentation that I uh, presentations that I've given on this subject. You can read about it. Uh, and uh, and learn about it that way, but everybody needs to learn, and you need the cards that you can get from us. Some people have called them opt-out cards, 
and, and you need to sign them and uh, witness them and date them, and everybody needs to carry those cards with them. It says you want to live uh, the length of time that God gives you. You don't want anybody to hasten your death or shorten your life. Don't do an apnea test. The apnea test is not a test for sleep apnea, but they did this to Jahai three times. They took away her ventilator for up to uh, one time, I know it was for nine minutes and without a breath, and that's like being suffocated for nine minutes. They did it to her three times, and, and people need to know no, no, no to the apnea test. They need to carry these cards and no to organ transplantation. They need to carry, have these cards with them at all times. They need to learn about it. And, uh, and take a stand for life. And it isn't that I'm not concerned about, uh, about people who are seriously ill. I am. But we need to find treatments that don't involve uh, uh, killing other people or harming, injuring, making them weaker uh, in order to get their organs for somebody else. Amen. Uh, and Walter, Amen. did you have anything in order to, to add to that? No, I don't. I love you guys. Thank you for having us on, allowing us to talk a little bit about this. Uh, All right. Again, how, can people, to... how can people yes. find out more about uh, Issues for Life? Come to the, our website, Issues for Life, and that's plural, and that's the number four, issuesforlife.org. Or they can just simply type in Walter Hoy, H-O-Y-E, Issues for Life Foundation on Facebook, and there's a lot of information there, uh, including pictures of me and the family. So they can find out a lot there. Excellent, excellent. Thomas, did you have anything you wanted to add? Well, I just wanted to say to Dr. Byrne, um, especially thank you for your fight for life, not just from true conception but to true death because that's what this show represents. We've dealt with every issue of life under the sun from the embryonic stem cell research to the human trafficking to euthanasia to the elderly abuse. So we covered it. And so we appreciate your willingness to come on, taking time out of your schedule. And Walter, you know we love you as well because, you know, we've had an opportunity to build relationship with you in Chicago and on the show, and so obviously we love you. And and I couldn't have reached out to a, a better person in the pro-life movement to to advocate on the behalf of Yahai. So thank you to both very much. God bless you. Thank you all very much. All right. All right. Can you hear me? <laughs> Hello. So, Leticia? Uh-huh. All so. right. The, the phone slipped out of my hand. But I wanted to thank you, for, thank our guests uh, for being on our show. I have one last thing for the stupidest thing ever, and I know time is running out quickly on us. Uh, did you hear about the the Russian ship carrying the 52 scientists that was stuck in an ice floe in Antarctica? Yes, I did. <laughs> uh, 
and it's funny. They get. So go ahead. Well, I, what I wanted to say about that and point out for that is the reason these scientists were sailing to the Antarctic and didn't quite make it to land is because they were studying the effects of global warming. Now, I'm not going to be on this show, on this show, to argue the merits of whether global warming is happening or not happening, but if you can't reach your destination because the ice is thicker than ever before, the winds are blowing harder than ever before, in the middle of summer in the Antarctic, uh-huh. <clears throat> uh, yeah. The irony. I just wanted to point out the irony of that. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I had to post on that one myself the other day because, uh, ooh, and the funny thing about it, they were still talking about, well, this doesn't, this doesn't prove that global warming isn't happening, okay? Um, yeah, okay, you go with that. But, oh, stick to the narrative. Just stick to the narrative. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, that is your stupidest thing of the day. Yeah. So, I had to add to that one more part of that, and I think it was the other, the mainstream media, however, who hadn't, those scientists were there uh, trying to study global warming. I think they conveniently left that, that little factoid out. <laughs> Well, because it made them look stupid, too, because <laughs> so, they're always trumpeting the, the global warming. But anyway, Pro-Life Fridays Radio, love you all. We had a phenomenal show this week, and tune in next week because our phenomenally awesome co-host, well, hostess, will be back in her host chair, and I'll get to sink back into the Netherlands of the chat room. Letitia, anything else for you to say? Just good night, and uh, we will see everybody on the show again next week. Not see, literally see, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Have a good night. All right. Good night. Bye, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.